and welcome to the Limited Bandwidth Podcast. We are your hosts, Leo and David, otherwise known as the folk duo, The Last Inklings. And social media, it's here to stay whether we like it or not. And it's become, I guess, an essential part of, uh, of an artist's toolkit for connecting with their audiences. And we're on a journey to discover how to make it work for us, um, but make sure that we keep space to be creative as well. Uh, so in our opening two episodes, we're exploring the role uh, that social media plays for other creatives uh, who are kind of in the same sphere as us, uh, both of them are musicians who are like genuinely very active in various areas of the scene, really. Yeah, so we're finding out how they use these social platforms and what impact they feel it has towards their goals as artists. But uh, yeah, also what impact it has on them as individuals as well. Now, in episode one, uh, we spoke to singer-songwriter Chris Cleverly uh, about the way that he's developed what looks like from the outside a very clear strategy that he kind of, you know, lets into a little bit more, um, using social media very much as an extension of of being a creative, which was quite an inspiring thing to hear. Yeah, and here we are in episode two, where we're going to be talking to John Parker about the ways in which social media has evolved throughout his career and how he's adapted to begin to find this balance between what is the digital world and the real world, um, and also staying visible, but saving this valuable space for creativity, practice, and a life away from work as well. Thank you very much for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here. (laughs) (laughs) Now, yeah, as we said, this podcast is exploring kind of social media use and screen time and the effects of that on artists from our own kind of experiences. But we want to know a little bit about you first. Okay. Uh, so in your own words, uh, how would you describe your kind of role in the industry? I am my role in the industry. Um, I have always been a musician. Um, I was in a band called Nisloppy for most of my, I suppose, 20s, teenage years uh, with my best friend, Luke and Cannon. Um, we had a big hit a long time ago in 2005, the JCB song. And... Um, yeah, and since we split the second time, um, we um, yeah, I've been a session musician since. So yeah, a session double bassist, an occasional beatboxer. And that spans a couple of different genres as well, am I right in saying? Yes, sadly not enough heavy metal. I would like more heavy metal in I my feel life. You, I feel you want You can yeah. never have enough, can you? Definitely not. I haven't got the hair for it anymore. I used to have the hair for it. So yes. And it, funny enough, social media did uh, throw up a, a picture. I think you'd shared it. Um, that was being auctioned off or was it sold for some weird sum of money? I don't think it was sold. Yeah, my old manager sends me silly things that are on the internet about my old band. And yeah, there was a picture going for, like, I can't remember, it was like $400 or something, a picture of me with long hair at playing Latitude Festival. And I, you know, for the... Oh, as, wow. Did, did yeah. you put in a, a bid on that? Or? I think my manager did, actually. <laughs> my old manager, Kieran, bless him. Yes, there's a lot of that. Uh, yes. Mm. So I guess, uh, in general... Uh, a suitable question would be what's what's your relationship with social media um, either today or if you've gone through a journey with it definite journey I think with Nisloppy the internet you know it was it was my space and then Facebook and we our hit was was a video that was recorded in like three sections and so we released a section at a time because we couldn't afford to do the whole thing I see and it, we were we weren't one of the first, but we were an early um, 
champion of of the way to do music online and we had loads of success and we bypassed having pluggers and all that stuff joe wiley got sent a little bit of our video just because it was out there she shared it played us on radio one we weren't paying for this so you know so there were loads of positives to that and you know it was before facebook groups so our facebook page was a friends page so when we did a gig i was on the other end of the facebook you know once we were you know announced a tour i'd be there you know talking to people it was very like on a one-to-one on basis. a one-to-one basis which i absolutely loved it was such a nice way of doing it oh, amazing and you felt like you got to your fan base really well whereas now it's mm. it's much harder to, well, to know it, it, lots has changed i mean it, it, back in back in those days you could reach everybody that that followed your page for example yes um yeah, and we nowadays didn't have the dreaded algorithms in the way no yeah. i think if you do a post it's going to reach about 10 percent of your followers it's just insane <laughs> it's crazy yeah so that was definitely that was facebook for you rather than myspace because i remember connecting with artists like seth lakeman back then on myspace yeah myspace was kind of already starting to end as mm. we started to break um yeah it was really just facebook but that was mainly just because people friend requested us um when they came to our gigs we were only playing to five or six people mm. um so yes and then and then we did obviously went down the whole twitter now we still have a twitter and instagram all that sort of things but it wasn't very nisloppy really we liked being able to interact oh yeah i suppose back then that was direct communication to fans wasn't it yeah absolutely it was mm. great and it was also a way of of bands talking to other bands you know, we had somebody in our, we ran our own record label and his job was to make connections with other bands who were touring and, you know, help each other out, basically, share ideas. And that was essentially viral video content at that point, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I do vaguely recall this as well, because yeah, yeah, I was yeah. an avid follower back then. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I latched onto your Facebook quite early enough, but certainly my, my old colleague and my old band did. <laughs> I mean, our, our manager was always, he really loved the new technology. So I seem to remember we had a camera that was always on in the studio where we used to rehearse. But there was a live audio feed. And the amount of times you'd get someone just messaging going, guys, just so you know, you're, you know, I can hear what you're saying. You know? <laughs> and you think, oh, got to be so careful. Because, you know, musicians, we all banter. <laughs> We'd have been cancelled a long time ago. <laughs> Oh God. That's what people want to hear, though. They, they want that sort of backstage, behind-the-scenes yes. personal connection. Um, yeah, I think they do. And I think we're all music fans, aren't we? So there would have been periods when we grew up where we wanted that little bit of how does this band work or, you know, do they get on or what do they listen to? Whereas now I feel like you kind of know what soya bean they had at their breakfast or you know like, <laughs> too much information maybe. Way too much information <laughs> yeah and you feel like you know them in a way that you didn't maybe before which i'm not sure is particularly healthy yeah there is something to be said for a sense of mystique i think yeah yeah not knowing yes i mean i absolutely love the idea that you can interpret lyrics the way that you feel um but now you can have people go on their live and explain to you the journey of the song which has its own value but it is very different yeah absolutely yes were you conscious at that point did it feel like it maybe does now like it was a drive for content creation like all of this stuff in the background this kind of social media stuff you had to create something to be visible on that platform yeah, less so now. It's it's amazing the amount of content that you feel you have to come up with 
every day there has to be like this new video, a live performance, and part of a new song. Mm. Whereas I think back then there just wasn't the need for that amount of content. So you'd spend maybe a month on a live music performance, getting it looking pretty good, and then you'd <laughs> share it, and it would be this big announcement, new song, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But mm. there's only people's attentions can't handle, <laughs> you know, a new song every 25 minutes that's getting worse because you haven't had the time to... I guess that's, that's the paradox of the success of these platforms. As they become more successful, more people are on them, mm. there's more competition about, there's, there's more sort of saturation in, in certain industries, maybe, yeah. more competition. Yeah, certainly over the lockdowns we were seeing, you know, this... Well, it, there came about this sense that it was easy to get hold of quality music for free because yes. you had so many musicians wanting to make a connection online. So that certainly became quite saturated. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I, I, I struggle with all that, I guess, because when we were streaming, wasn't a thing when Isloppy was selling, we sold records, we sold lots of physical records yeah. and, um, and we would sit in big meetings with record labels and sort of say, we're concerned as artists. We can see that CDs are not selling at gigs as well as they were. And we don't think it's just because people are bored of us. We think there's a change happening here. And their record label's like, oh, we've got it covered. And it's like, no, there's a tsunami about to happen <laughs> to your industry. And it's, it's almost as if since streaming, there's been like a completely, it's a different music industry, basically. So um, back at that point in time, did you have uh, a team on board or a person that you went to that dealt with a lot of this marketing stuff for you? Um, or did that kind of come about as you got into your career with Nisloppy? It was very organic. So we did a lot of it. And then we had, because we ran our own la record label, we had a team of six people, which we employed, that we'd take out on the road. Um, and we just, you know, we there was seemed less scrutiny so you could have a go at something and if it didn't mm. work you just go oh, well that didn't work let's not do that again and not many people would really be aware of it whereas it feels nowadays as if a little bit like yeah you can't afford to make a huge i error. think you're right it, it like it used to be uh like an add-on a bolt-on to mm. you know it wasn't part of the the marketing plan it was just something extra yes but now it's the center of all the marketing activity yeah yeah, yeah. and it needs to you know record labels want it to be planned and, and curated and managed properly. And Yeah, there was, was it Halsey who said mm. that she'd written something she was really proud of, um, but couldn't release it because her label wanted to create a viral moment on one of the social oh media platforms God. first. Yeah. So there had to be something to, to kind of spearhead this, this release. Yes. And I think essentially that's the thing. There's lots of good things, isn't there, with... Um, we, we, uh, good things or bad things, we're not going to change. The internet's not going to suddenly go down. Social media's not going to disappear. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's just here. And we, my band were very lucky to have had mainly all positives, but I can really see the negatives. And also, I think on a deeper level, the quality of music, musicianship, people coming to gigs, and how do you fund a band when you're on tour now? CD sales don't really exist, so it's very very difficult I often I work with a lot of young artists and you think oh this is so much harder than when we used to do it so yeah it's a strange one because the opportunities are have been magnified so much by social media but on the flip side of that mm. um it the opportunities are there for everybody yeah. and and everybody has access to them so you're kind of you're not fighting for for a smaller number of sort of um successful 
um, slots, if mm. you will. Um, it's 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 a, a different landscape, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, thinking about some of those changes, you said earlier that to start with, like on the social media platforms, you were the person contacting people. You were the point of contact. Yeah. Did that ever change at any point? Did someone kind of take over being uh, your online face? Uh, once we'd gotten... We, we kind of bypassed a lot of steps. So we went for Christmas number one, which is quite a full-on thing to do. Yes. So we turned down things like live lounges because we had we had TV and radio pluggers working with us going, that's not... We need bigger audiences. And I'm like, okay, well, I think Radio 1's fairly big, actually. <laughs> um, but they would say, no, we've got Richard and Judy or those sort of things. So, it, And it became harder and harder. We were doing radio and TV from, say, 5 in the morning till 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock at night or gigging. And... We we did try. I mean, I desperately tried to keep up with it all, but that's where you burn out. I mean, if we'd had mm. sustained success, you know, you can see why people take up other <laughs> interesting and fun habits. Because uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it. it's funny you mentioned the word with burnout. Um, in in that sense, I guess that's that's more of an orthodox burnout mm. situation where you're you're traveling between locations for specific events. Yeah. Um, a new phrase that has cropped up since since the pandemic really is has been digital burnout mm. um where where you're spending more and more time more and more screen time um either on a laptop or on a, on a phone on social media is is this something that that you've experienced yeah absolutely in in the sense now i'm a session musician you're there's a feeling that you need to be constantly seen to be busy, even though actually you are busy practicing or listening to music or having a lie <laughs> um but oh and also you do a gig with x band or y band and you have to feel like you have to promote it but quite often there isn't the content there <laughs> to promote so you're taking a picture of the tree in the garden and trying to make some sort of connection to that but i think burnout yeah i mean i often i i have a healthier uh, connection with social media now but even on on the way to here, me and Lee were talking about why do we sh why do we feel we have to share everything? I'm mm. a long distance runner, and I regularly post about my running, which is me time. You know, I, the other day I've, I'm doing a vipassana meditation retreat at the moment, and I felt like I had to share that online. Oh wow, yeah. And you kind of go, well, that's antithesis of what that's really about absolutely yeah. do you feel like you're having to slightly curate an online persona and keep feeding it with the content to do that yeah so i have two personas so i have um my personal instagram which has got hardly any followers and then i have my kind of double bass one and they have different posts on them because it's mm. like i'm a busy double bass player look at me um whereas my personal one's more like i enjoyed this book which if I put on my double bass thing, would prove that I'm not as busy as you might think I am. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> I mean, yeah, do you find it does genuinely pull you away from some of the creative stuff? So when you're, let's say you're at a session job and you're recording, rehearsing, and mm. there's maybe a gig coming out of it, are you all in that space where you're thinking, oh God, we need to do something so we can take a picture of it, film something yeah. to tell people about the gig? Yeah, yeah. I, 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 it's been a long time, I'd say, since I've done anything that hasn't required a picture, a video, you know, or something to share online. Um, even things that 
you know, we've just done the nine barrow walking holidays. Those things sell out themselves. They don't need any publicity. But it becomes then about the individuals and saying, look, I'm doing this thing and, you know... I like to say using it to validate your time and show yeah, people yeah. I have been busy, I've been working here just because I you have. haven't seen it in other media. Yeah, I have yeah. status. Look, look where I am, you know. This, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's very good for human beings. I mean, uh, social media in the internet itself is a kind of psychological experiment that we haven't, <laughs> we haven't all agreed to do. That's it's just thing. happening. It's just yeah. happening. Yeah. And there is fallout, definitely. I mean, did you find yourself falling prey to the kind of habits like we've discussed at length, I suppose, like uh, perhaps you have just picked up your phone to deal with something for work because you've had an email come in and you can read it there quite conveniently, but then social media is just a few steps away. It's easy to maybe scroll something for a while. Yes. I apart, See, now I have an Instagram app on my phone, whereas I didn't have any of the apps on my phone. So I had to, I would log out and I'd have to, I'm not very good at remembering passwords. So that was quite good. <laughs> and I've gone down the hole. I think it's Oh, I can't remember the name of them, but the the websites that you pay money to even to stop you using, you know, timing out your, Interesting. your okay. phone, yeah. that sort of stuff. Mm. And that works for a while. Um, but then maybe something comes along that's exciting and you think, oh, I need to, sh- I need to share that. I need to share that. <laughs> Look at me. Um, yeah. And, but then, I don't know. Will we be remembered for our social media presence? <laughs> it's a really bit of a vicious not. cycle, isn't it? In that if you, if you don't do it, then uh, you, you're kind of losing out a little bit. The, well, the fear of missing out definitely mm. is there. Um, and, uh, and it's interesting working with different people and the way they deal with it. I work with one artist, you won't know, because he doesn't do social media. And the problem has been more and more people and just not, they're not even aware he's gigging. Mm. Um, how many more people would come to the gigs if he was doing social media? I just don't know. It's anyone's guess, really, isn't it? It is, and it takes a lot of bravery if an artist would do one year on social media and then come off it for a year (laughs) and just see. That would be... And we're seeing more of that in the news. I think we've both kind of shared with each other, again, kind of taking something off social media and sharing it ourselves for interest, but Mm. stories of artists who are saying, I've just got to put this down for a while. Yeah, it's funny how it makes headlines when someone like Ed Sheeran says, oh, I'm taking a a break from social media. Yeah, Yeah, who was it? Uh, The Spider-Man actor... Tom Tom Holland. Tom Holland's done it recently. He said he was kind of reading through all of his reviews and even positive ones, he was spending too much time focusing on that. Right, yes. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. I think I think also at that level, they there's so much noise. So it must be like just opening the hive of human, you know, not not necessarily positive <laughs> stuff. You know, I can only imagine. I, I think Ed came off um, Twitter because he appeared on the Game of Thrones episode where he played guitar. Yes, yes. and yeah. in fact, he had to change all of us like emails everything because it was so poorly received and the amount of vitriol he got oh wow and you go well i mean it's it's just somebody going yes to being on the game of friends and most people i know would go oh yeah i'd love to do that but actually i mean touching lightly on that um or maybe not actually in a way obviously when you're at that level you've opened yourself up to being able to be contacted by so many people you Mm. are available and we know this is a kind of a downside of smartphones and things that we talk about Mm -hmm. you're constantly at someone's beck and call if they really need you uh, which is great in an emergency but what constitutes an emergency you know your phone goes off and there you are you're glued back on on it but we know you had quite an intense period of time kind of linked with 
with Ed, as it were, mm. kind of really threw you back into the, the spotlight, but not necessarily for musical purposes? Yeah, so he he sponsored my... my I was caring for my mum, and my mum passed away a year and a half ago. And um, I ran the London Marathon because I said I would do that. Was this the virtual marathon? The virtual yeah. one, yeah. And, um, and I just because we had some carers come into the home uh, towards the end of her life that were, you know, not necessarily lifesavers, but were amazing, if you see what I mean. So I was like, it would be a good way of, of paying them back. And um, it might in hospice, local hospice. And, um, and I, you know, I was doing fairly well at raising money. And then um, I just thought, oh, sod it, I'll just email Ed Sheeran. I don't ask anything of him because so many people do. And I was like, can you share a link? And once I'd sent the email, I realised, of course he can't share the link. This is a stupid thing to have sent to him. But in the email, I'd obviously put, you don't, you know, there's absolutely no obligation, you know. And yeah, so he sponsored me and and I was like, this is amazing. Immediately got in touch with the, uh, the charity and said, oh, you know, isn't this great? And they were like, are we allowed to publicise it? And I thought, I hadn't even thought about that. So then when I mess- messaged him back and said, do you do you mind? And he totally is very cool with people using his name for good things. Mm. But yeah, you get suddenly, I mean, it was all really positive in a way because it wasn't about publicizing me. It wasn't about what I was, I wasn't selling anybody anything, but there was a lot of radio interest. And, but even then on the back of what was my story and my mum's, you know, my mum's passing, there was still, I think it was a BBC journalist who was desperate for me to give him Ed's email address. And I was like, why would I do that? And why would you ask ask someone who's (laughs) potentially in a vulnerable situation to do that? Like, where's your code of ethics? Um, But yeah, I mean, Ed's, Ed's is another level of, crazy when it comes to all of this stuff so i do media. seem to recall we crossed over for a session gig with with nine Barry, funnily enough again a walking tour at that time and mm, that's right. you were, had to be almost glued to your phone that's all, that screen yeah, was yeah, on yeah, most yeah, of that time all the time yes yeah and 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 then also i a bit like with ticket sales so in my in my old band you'd put as things were getting so you, you know you find where you naturally fit as a band after extreme success and it's often not there it's it's a bit lower down and we'd book a tour and I would be looking at ticket figures and we we sold way quicker that sold out straight away before it's taking time you know and you do then then that's a horrible place because psychologically you are basically just tormenting yourself going (laughs) I don't love us anymore or me anymore (laughs) Uh, we're not relevant anymore and did you ever find you were doing that with like the social media metrics as well? Uh, no, partly because it's quite a technical thing. Uh, <laughs> but no, and I think, I think I took it very, like I took those sort of things personally. And then when you've, yeah, when, you, when your career is taking a, a dip down, that can be quite I think that's hard. natural in a way. It's, it's like, like a, a series of knock-on events that, that lead to an explosion, if you will. Mm. Um, and then it's natural for that to plateau off yes. uh, before the next release or before the next sort of campaign, yeah. um, at least on the, the digital side of things. Absolutely. I guess in the past, it wasn't so, you weren't so visibly <laughs> slipping off the radar. No, I mean, it's, <laughs> it, it's kind of, it's, it's where does that fit into the creative cycle? Like you can't yeah. be creating content and having a, 
like a, a campaign that's sustained between projects no. because there's no time to be creative. So no, and I mean, we is, certainly find that. <laughs> yeah, that well, that's exactly it. That, that's what suffering, I think, is is what I loved in the first place, which is music and great bands or great artists. Yes, and I you can't I can't you can't do the two. I don't think you can. So do... it's a question of balance. How 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 do you find that balance? <sighs> Yeah, and and people turn it off for three months or something and go away and write an album. But is that enough time off the constant distraction? <laughs> and how much of those three months are you going? Exactly. Yeah. Have I got any messages? <laughs> I better not check because there's not checking, but then there's also you are yeah. thinking about yeah. it. People have compared that to crash diets. Mm. And if you say I'm going to have this uh, period where I'm going to come off social media for two weeks and really reset mm. myself, the same as when you have a crash diet you'll sneak back in with some bad habits you yeah. know, and before you know it, you're doing the same thing again because <laughs> you've not really changed your practice massively. Yes. But I it mean, leads me to a slightly wider question of, of whether you think spending a lot of time online pays off in reality or whether it's, it's better to do a minimum amount online just to keep things ticking over. Because it sounds like previously you said there was a point in the band where it was a really good thing mm. and some of that online presence was great, but mm. is that massively different now? I think so. Um, I think because there was so much real time as well. So you would, you didn't do so much. There wasn't Zooms. You weren't doing that sort of content. Um, you were, you would do concerts in people's houses. You would meet people. It was, yeah, it was very real. Now, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I Personally, I'm not, I'm not convinced the two worlds support each other and I think the way things are going after a pandemic and cost of living and all of those things the world feels a little certainly in the music world feels harder people aren't coming to shows the amount of posts I see about you know please book early please book early and you think we're desperate we're very desperate now to get people bums on seats in a way that we perhaps weren't before it's <laughs> such a weird thing I know we spoke very briefly about not not wanting to encourage people to put themselves in a difficult position, mm. but it's difficult because then you're also putting yourself uh, lower down because at the same time, I mean, this is the job that we've all kind of trained and studied and yes. got the experience to do. And we still need that income from this job at this point in time. Yeah. And the income revenue streams have, they're just, just not there like they used to be. So you might only play to small audiences, but you might have a good publishing deal or a good sync deal, or mm, yeah. or you might just not sell many records in chart sense, but people come to your gigs and you're a cult band <laughs> and you sell 200 CDs a, a gig. You can have a very good band if you're selling that, and you can treat them really well and it all feels really good rather than, well, we've got the xylophone player because we got 50 quid. I did do a gig where we saw a sellout Bush Hall with a singer-songwriter, and it was a, it was an amazing show. And afterwards, I thought that merch table is going to be rammed. <laughs> so I said, "I'll give you a hand." Yeah. Went out front. I think they sold three albums or something. It's so difficult to predict, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was. It's, it was very strange. <laughs> it was quite depressing. <laughs> was that a recent? Yeah, it was pre-pandemic, pre like a year before the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the the things that's come up in in our wider conversations with people is is how patchy it is at the moment. Mm. Um, nothing's predictable, mm. and it's difficult to have confidence in in events. And um, 
and on the the flip side of that as well, what, how the audience will react. Yes, um, absolutely. Once once the event yeah, goes I think ahead. we were a bit rusty post pandemic, <laughs> uh, kind of getting back into gigs. But you know, we'd had some rehearsals. But I think audiences were in a similar position as well. So yeah. how do we, what do we do? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think the first gig I did was York Minster. Um, was the, my first proper gig back, depping for a band. And the audience, it was just so weird. People were in masks in the audience and they had, if you weren't in that group, you had to sit separately. And so it looked like a sellout gig, but there were huge spaces. And the way the whole gig was set up was basically, you're here to have fun, but by the way, life could be endangered. And you're thinking, wow, where do you go from there? Here's <laughs> a, a pop thing, song it? about it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, because obviously the arts are valuable. It's yes. a really important part of culture. Yeah. yeah. How much value do you place on it when you, well, we were sort of in life and death situations. Yeah, I suppose. yeah, absolutely. Well, that, that kind of highlights the uh, the reconciliation that you do with the, with a reduced capacity audience. Mm. But the people that are there uh, could potentially be getting a lot of value from that Um because they've been spending you know, all their time indoors on a, on yeah. a computer screen or something. <laughs> yeah, doom scrolling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah doom this scrolling. is their, their first, first sort of um, chance to be out and, yeah. and enjoy live music. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, partly. Well, I mean, we've spoken about you being a session musician and obviously Nisloppy. Um, is it true to say Son of John is your project, a project that you're involved in as a, as a band member? Um it's difficult to know we're really good friends and we play a lot together so it sounds like a band yeah i suppose it is a kind of yeah i suppose so it's a collaboration like, yeah, yeah. I'm not, their boundary between a session musician and someone who plays regularly with the same people is <laughs> it's a that is a funny world area, it's a funny thing yeah. yeah i mean i get paid so therefore i am employed to be to play. i mean i i love playing with him um yeah, yeah. But um, but he similarly he spent a lot of money on his record, which is just out. And um, well, this was what I was thinking. I mean, that's kind of in its big release cycle at the moment. Yeah. Have you been involved behind the scenes in any of that promotion, that marketing? Um, only in the sense of trying to work regular conversations and trying to work out what the best thing to do is. And both of us sort of hammering heads and going, <laughs> "Do we tour this?" You know, or do we do an album launch even with all the players that are on it? Mm. And is that financially possible? And the answer was no. Because <laughs> <laughs> there were so many players on it. What's your opinion on uh, live streaming currently? Um, <sighs> See, we've had a... Uh, <laughs> I think if we had our choice, we, we probably wouldn't work that way. Yeah. And personally... We've spoken about this, both of us find that it just doesn't give you the same energy. Yeah. Maybe a hybrid stream, something like that, could have worked at a certain time in the lockdowns where mm. you had someone in front of you to to work with, to have some atmosphere. But yeah, for us, it, now that it's, it's not, not our first... Yeah, now yeah. that it's not the only option out there, yes. um, it, it kind of, it makes you compare the two yeah. um, a little bit more starkly. <laughs> yeah, and it's a bit like, a bit like television, isn't it? It's, it's just... It's not real. You're not interacting. You're not really you're not hearing the creaks or the noises or the heckles or mm. somebody laughing inappropriately during a very poignant song. And that all adds into the atmosphere of the, Absolutely. the experience. Um, yeah. yeah, and I, I think it changes the performance. I, I, I subscribe to that. I think Laura Marling was one of the big first ones during the pandemic to do that. Mm. Was it Union Chapel? 
And I loved that record um, when it came out and I watched it and I thought it caught the kind of somberness and the isolation quite well. But there was none of that. I'm sure it would be a totally different gig with audience. Yeah, yeah. It would yeah. have been amazing. Um, There's a, um, uh, I think it's like a scientific principle called the observer effect, okay. where something behaves differently when it's being observed. Yeah, and yeah, I yeah, think yeah, that, yeah, that applies. Yeah. Oh, ab- absolutely, yes. Yeah, once... Yeah, I think we all... There's like an on switch, isn't there, as a yeah. musician? If you're mm. just running through things in soundchecks. Oh, it's yeah, like cool. a little bit of adrenaline because there is someone in the room to yeah. watch this version of this show. <laughs> yeah. 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 And it's and a, a f- moment in time. A feeling of responsibility and joy, you know, when you, like you guys you have your own band, when people spend their money, which they could spend it on anything, and they've gone, actually, you know what? I want to go and see The Last Inklings. That's a... Uh, that's, that's an amazing feeling, but we kind of forget that in the quest to get more bums on seats. Absolutely. And, yeah, know. good point. <laughs> um, do you have any advice for, for artists who are struggling with th- the demands of social media? I know that you're, you're an avid runner. Is, is that <laughs> yeah, is something that, that you would... Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I wish it was my escapism, but I'm on a running app called Strava and I document all my runs oh i see so this is like running social media it is, it's running instagram absolutely so oh, wow. you put up a, a picture of yourself or where you've been running mm. um because i know we've briefly when we crossed over at session things spoken about you being torn between like even wanting to get a new laptop at one point and yes. talking about screens being on and off at different points because you've yeah. clearly changed your approach to that yeah i mean I, ironically i did a gig where i had my ipads and laptop and all of my personal effects nicked um but we'd had a conversation oh, no. just beforehand <laughs> that i was like look i've got you know I, I did buy the most you know the highest you know whatever spec Max and um, and I was just saying to the other people there, I just feel a bit of a tool because I don't need these. I'm not doing anything that requires this power. Mm. And within 25 minutes of that conversation, someone had decided to say, "You know what? You really don't need these, and I need these." <laughs> oh no! So, and they were all gone. And I really, lots of people very kindly offered to help and to buy things for me and give me their old laptops. And I just really thought, can I do it all on my phone? You know, do I need to do this on computers? And the only issue I re- the major issue was learning people's songs mm. off a phone was very difficult. Even yes. the little scrolly bar to go back yeah. to the bit you've missed. It's like, that was stressful. And recently I've just ordered a, a laptop. So, um, I guess in a, in a roundabout way, that's a bit of a success story of social media in that something happened in reality and and people offered their help through through these platforms which which might not have been been there had they not absolutely yes yeah you're absolutely right but i also feel that um before social media you wouldn't have noticed the loss of it if you know what i mean yes yeah. so you would have you would have had your friend you would have probably had a closer <laughs> group of friends that you actually saw a, a solution to a problem that that would, didn't exist yeah that didn't <laughs> exist it's a problem it created and um, <laughs> but i guess advice wise it's really difficult because i'm not a massive fan of social media and what it does to society and the problems it's causing and is responsible for and just you know the algorithm all of that sort of stuff it all feels you know someone that express an opinion and they just get 
yeah, yeah. You know, fatally murdered <laughs> online. I don't like council culture. None of that sort of stuff. I, I think people should just get their own homes in order before they start <laughs> pointing fingers <laughs> at other musicians. Um, I think the thing is you have to do it with a bit of a sense of humour, I think, is the only way, lightly. Yeah. Um, which is very difficult because everybody is telling you you've got to have a social media presence, you've got to have content. Mm. But really, the truth is when you get up on a stage, who came, Who who's excited, who heard your record? That's kind of the leveller, isn't it? You can have the millions of likes and then play to six people and you go, yeah. these six people yeah. are That's really... That's a real thing. Yeah. yeah. It's the... Uh, Keep keep the end game in mind. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, and and I think I do think. I mean, I'm a big fan of a guy called Carl Newport who wrote a book about digital minimalism, and he's basically just never been on social media. And um, he he, I'm part of his newsletter, and it's just great because he just puts examples of people that you really respect, like Walden or musicians or football stars or whatever it is who have come off these platforms because they want to be good at their actual thing our problem is that we are having to run our own businesses that's the major problem if record labels <laughs> were any good and took care of all the admin and yes. all of that then yeah. we could just go away and you could re- record the best record you could record and they're all slightly different as well there's there's no sort of set defined structure that works for everybody because everybody's you know they've got a different team behind them or they they make a different style of music or yes. they've got different goals in mind so and some of those algorithms out there are pure chaos so you can feed in the same information <laughs> as a different band and get a completely different result as well. there's so many problems there. yes yes i think that's that's a really good point is is to have a sense of humor mm. about it all and and yeah, not take it too seriously. Yeah, I think so. And I think if you really want to make, this is going to sound ridiculous, but but if you really want to make change and you can see artists are people that want to make a difference, usually a positive difference, mm. um, putting up something about the latest trend or the, the trendy cause that everybody else is tweeting about or, you know, changing the icon on Facebook isn't changing any but anything i think you need to get involved in your local community it's those things haven't changed yeah you know if you want to make a difference that's how you make a difference saying oh i i totally disagree with what's happening in with immigration it's like well okay well great but you're just telling a whole load of people that also (laughs) feel exactly the same now those people are it's not changing anybody's no one's shocked by this news. So yeah, yeah, that's that's an important point as well. Is the the disconnect between mm. the on the offline and the online world? Yeah, is, and to make those connections, to sort of tie the two together to make that make that impact. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Get I your mean, hands dirty. As we sort of start to to come to the end of our conversation, I mean, you can feel free to disagree with this, but <laughs> I think it's important to to just investigate a little bit. Do you think there's any positive impact in your life personally or kind of professionally from social tech? Do you think it's brought any particular good to you that wouldn't have happened otherwise? Um, I'd I'd definitely be lying if I said no. (laughs) Um, I mean, certainly, I mean, we've got friends on the other side of the world and we'd never have been able to stay in touch in the same way if it wasn't for that. I know sometimes that we've said Zoom calls can feel really uh, impersonal, but mm. having them there is bringing them a little bit closer than they are when they're 
in Australia, you know, through the lockdown, for example. Absolutely. And I mean, before that, you'd have written or made phone calls maybe less frequently. Zoom makes it a lot easier. I mean, I do have to say uh, that when I was caring for my mum and we were, it's probably a bit heavy for a conversation about music, but towards the end of, of her time, my mum's family were unable to visit somewhere in Ireland, somewhere in the north of the country. And through a lot of kind of, no, the mic's muted, no, that's, you're showing me your neck, not your face. <laughs> yes. All of those yeah. things, yeah. it meant that I was able to, they were able to talk to, to my mum. And so that was amazing, you know, for, mm. for all of its evils, that was definitely, there were points when I was like, that is quite an incredible thing that we can do. You know, if you were stuck in hospital, someone could hand you a an iPad and you could communicate with your loved ones or say goodbye to your loved ones. Um, that's incredible. Um, so yeah, so that's, you know, that's kind of sad, obviously, but it's, it, that is a very, that's a positive thing. I mean, it's amazing. P human beings are, we are social beings. We want to connect. So social media is good at connection in that sense. Maybe not, maybe it's not the most real connection. It's almost like the dating stage and then you need to get out there and actually actually <laughs> stroke the person it's yeah. a nice way of thinking yeah. about it yeah 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 let's quickly get to the bit where we just meet for a coffee in real life shall we yeah right? absolutely yeah. yeah god yeah well thank you so much for uh, for spending the time with us it's been fascinating to to chat through these topics with you a real pleasure thank <laughs> you. where can people find out more about you and your music um, well, that's a very good question. Um, you know, so you really do look busy as a session musician. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, well, I'm really busy, so it's very difficult for people. Um, you know what? Go and look at other people. <laughs> Go on then. Um, uh, what are your, one of your session projects that you would say, yeah, listen to their music. I've really enjoyed working there. Um, I don't know. I'll get into trouble. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we've all got to have favourites, right? Yeah. I don't... Yeah, I mean, I'm going on tour with Jackie Oates for her new record which i really like amazing oh, you, you're on the recording aren't you yes yeah. and it's a beautiful record and it's yeah it's it means a lot to me that record um, well, it's brought together a few different artists if i'm thinking of the right thing yeah. that's right and she and jackie is now she's a music therapist so there's quite a lot of that influence oh, in there so where music really you know has that powerful impact that care homes all that live music now stuff you know that's where you you know if you become disenfranchised with music all you have to do is bring in a musical instrument to a hospital ward or, or play in front of little kids and see mm. their faces going it's magic how on earth did <laughs> that's they the do power that? of music yeah yeah exactly <laughs> and we mustn't forget that so yeah well thank you again for uh, for agreeing to be on our, our, our podcast You've been listening to episode two of the Limited Bandwidth podcast with The Last Inklings and our guest, John Parker, investigating the, the changing nature of social media and the importance of balance. And if you've been affected by any of the topics that we've covered in this podcast, um, you can find support through the Help Musicians website at helpmusicians.org.uk forward slash contact. Our guest in episode three of the series will be Dr. Sarah Hodge from Bournemouth University. Uh, she's a specialist in cyber psychology. And this podcast was hosted, recorded and engineered by Leo and David with music by The Last Inklings. And you can find out more at www.thelastinklings.co.uk.